Thanks for joining me for the last episode of Red Carpet Rookies Series 1. I started this as a little project from my bedroom during lockdown and from something so small, it's already made a mark with Vanity Fair and BBC Features and I've been able to talk to some incredible guiding lights of film and television from around the world. Whether you are a film and TV fan or someone wanting to learn from the series, I hope you've taken something from it and I'm very grateful to everyone who's been part of our journey so far. The reaction we have had has been fantastic, so I will try my best to be back with Series 2 as soon as I, and some willing guests, can. I really want to have more variance and diversity in my guests as we move forward, so if you know anyone in the business who might like to get involved, please do let me know. For now, please enjoy the last episode of the series, a relaxed chat with my friend and standby prop man to the stars, Graham Robinson. Put it this way, I went from being like a skint student to two weeks later on a plane to New York to um, like playing a rock and roll band, basically. Hello and welcome to Red Carpet Rookies. My name is Mike Battle, a film production junior working for studios in London. Each episode, I bring you advice and stories from film, TV and content professionals to help demystify and democratize the industries for juniors and fans alike. Thanks for joining me. Let's get started. Today's guest is standby props maestro, Graham Robinson. With beginnings in British network TV on shows such as This Is England 90 and Humans, Graham has now graduated to become a regular on large-scale productions such as Killing Eve, Fast and Furious 9 and Warner Brothers Pennyworth, on which he is currently working. Thanks for being on the show, Graham. How are we? Very good. How are you? I'm very good. Long time no see. Yes, indeed. Now, to get us started, some of the listeners may not know what a standby prop man does. So in your words, how would you describe it? Uh, standing by on set to maintain all prop needs and looking after all the props on set. Very nice. Now, I thought we'd start by going back to the beginning. Where did you grow up and did your parents' jobs have an effect on what you wanted to do as a career? Yeah, well, my dad was an architect, so I was always a little bit inspired by that, I guess. Well, we grew up having architecture shoved down our throats, I guess, uh, as kids, me and my sisters. So I like to think that working in the art department and props department is slightly inspired by that. I don't know if it is or not. <laughs> possibly. And when you were growing up as a kid up in Manchester, was it? No, Lytham St. Anne's near Blackpool. Near Blackpool, of course. I always forget that. Did you have an idea of what you wanted to do? You mentioned creativity there, because as we'll discuss in a minute, your trajectory was quite different to getting into film than many. Uh, well, yeah, I was always into music and I always preferred the arts, probably because hardcore academia would sort of bored me. <laughs> bored me. Oh, I wasn't good at it. Good at it. One of the two. And then you touched on it there you first your first love was the music business so would you mind yeah. telling us a little bit about how you went from a, a kid kid in a band to getting signed and the stuff that came with that well well it all began as a classical musician for me i think my parents were very much like play piano you know and i was like i want to play the drums <laughs> and they were like you're gonna to have to play percussion first and i was like oh okay fair enough but then yeah from the age of like 13 I was in orchestras then I got into bands uh but then it was I don't know it was never like a it was never go and be a musician it was like always be a, like be a musician on the side and go and study 
something, I think. And then I went to university to study in a roundabout way, architecture. And, but then I was missing music. So I, well, I went to Plymouth to university and I thought I'd find lots of wonderful musicians to like have a band on the side at uni. And then that didn't, uh, that wasn't the case. So I moved up north to Manchester where a load of my friends that were, I grew up with were, were, and then the band scene kicked off for me. Then eventually I managed to get an audition with a band in Liverpool that were already signed. And then I moved to Liverpool, quit university and uh, joined the circus for two and a half years. <laughs> How was the circus? The circus was, well, Put it this way, I went from being like a skint student to two weeks later on a plane to New York to um, like playing a rock and roll band, basically. So that was quite quite a, a moment, I guess. Is it what you imagine being in a rock band, traveling around the world? It sounds like there like it is a little bit, but I imagine there's also other stuff that comes with it. It's definitely as you imagine in the sense that you play a gig, you get an amazing feeling, you go out afterwards to like random bars, like unbeknownst to you where you are at all um, because you're just like following the crowd. And I remember actually being on, um, being wherever in the world and then the tour manager we had would give us like a little piece of paper and you just shove it in your pocket and then you'd go out partying all night and then you'd, you'd get to the end of the night and you'd be like, well, I mean, where the, where the fuck am I staying? And <laughs> then you get your little piece of paper out and you'd be like, ah, and it'd have your little hotel details on it. It'd have your taxi number, uh, and then you'd just ring your taxi number, and then you go, I'm staying here. And then you turn up at your hotel, and then you go, uh, Greg Robinson, they go, yeah, here's your key. And then you go up to your room. They'd even go as far as putting your suitcase in your room for you. So. Did you have any notably memorable rock star nights out with your piece of paper in your pocket? Whilst my girlfriend's in the room i'm not sure i have no (laughs) (laughs) fair enough when did you know that it was time to leave music because obviously you're not working in it now what happened in the transition between flying on planes to new york and then now being a standby prop man well that that particular band i talk of um for me i was just their touring musician essentially did a bit of recording with them and it only lasted a couple of years maybe two and a half years, I think, with that particular band. But then after that, I was in Liverpool. I was, you know, fully committed 24-7 to being a musician, just um, love on the dole, as I used to call it. Just, like, getting enough money together to pay for your rehearsal room and to be able to, like, eat a little bit of food. I was fortunate that I had free accommodation. And then, yeah, you just go to rehear- you just go to your rehearsal room from like 11 till 4 every day, then you just go to gigs every night. And then I started in so many bands and then we'd get little management deals or single deals and then you'd get dangled carrots and you'd go up and down the country on bog tours or, or we'd do the odd little high-profile support. And then we'd... Uh, but then it'd be so up and down, up and down, up and down, and that went on for maybe six years. And it was great. It's probably the most romantic time of my life. But but then eventually you feel you, you get bored of being skint. Do you think that kind of lifestyle prepared you well for film and TV, which isn't quite as extreme, but to some extent is that vagabond life a little bit? It's a little bit circusy, isn't it? Yeah, like madness here, there and everywhere. 
Uh, yeah, it did totally. Well, it, completely because you do like lots of odd jobs. Like I worked in bars, I worked in kitchens, I did uh, gardening for a vicar. I did, um, I worked in a kid's nursery, you know, like loads of different little random jobs, which is essential as I've learned to being a good standby prop man, because obviously filmmaking and storytelling is every single walk of life. And the more you know about walks of life, the better you can be at propping the scenario. Is there anything that you learned from any of those weird little jobs that you use these days? I guess doing silver service jobs is the one that crops up the most on like a good old period drama. You know exactly how to lay out a table or like where the knives and forks go and you you know where all the red wine glass goes, the white wine glass, the water glass go, you know, to serve from the left and you know, pick up from the right and you can tell all the essays how to like to do that. I mean the ADs normally do that, but you can be a useful man on set when it comes to certain scenes like that, for example. That's really interesting. You mentioned they're moving from music into film. When you were going through that transition period, how did you feel at the time? Did you feel almost a little bit lost that you kind of had this love on the doll and then you were moving into something completely different? Did you know it was definitely going to be film and TV? Or were you just sort of sitting in your flat going, well, what the hell am I going to do now? Uh, yeah, it was a bit, what am I going to do now? And then my mate, a mate of mine was working um, on Hollyoaks, which is filmed around the corner where, from where I lived in Liverpool. And he was like, I'll try and get you in there if you want, mate. Just like one of them. Um, so he did. And then he guided me through it. And then I ended up just, yeah, art department running. I was at first like, yeah, I'm just doing this. Like, like It's just like a little thing whilst, you know, I'm just working the music out or like, and never didn't take it fully seriously for maybe like three years. I just odd job with like I'd come down to London and do the you know the odd week here and there, but I was still one hundred percent music. But then as you start to realise the opportunity that film presents itself, and also the excitement I got from doing it, like you start to get a buzz. And I guess that's what drives me a little bit. Um, as soon as I started to get a buzz, I was like, oh, do you know what? I'm going to do this. Was it quite hard to go from quite high-profile high gigs here and there? I know you played a stadium and such. Yeah, to sweeping the floor beneath an actor's feet. Yeah, it was, yeah. <laughs> you went from supporting Oasis to uh, to mopping up. How was that? Yeah, basically. So like, to, to, like a, an essential part of a prop man's kit is basically a broom and a, and a roll of blue roll, basically a kitchen roll. And so, yeah. You say that though, but props is an interesting department because yes, they are responsible for quite a lot of, you know, admin, but also it can be very artistic as well, can't it? Yeah, just little details. You get little uh, little moments you have where, I don't know, like a, if you're on set and someone's drinking a bottle of beer, for example, you... Yeah, normally we get a beer out of the fridge and it's cold and it's got condensation and then it starts to drip. But if you're on a hot set and you're doing this scene for eight hours in the day, like I mean, you can you know you can get yourself a fridge together maybe. But if you're out on location, it's not always practical or, or whatever reason or in the woods in the middle of summer or something. But yeah, you get like a you get like glycerin in a in a water bottle and then you spray it on the bottle and then the globules of water stay there and then like the bottle ends up in foreground and I don't know it's like yeah just little moments like that 
so to take a bit of a different tact for up and comers who are thinking about moving into props, perhaps, what do you think your advice would be to them? The, the, the future blue rollers coming up now, hoping to be the next standby prop man on Fast and Furious? Just to just to get lots of practical life experience, because the more you know about different life scenarios, the better you're going to be on a, a film set. Do you think it's that being in props is a real kind of every every man job then, where you could literally be asked anything? Have you been asked any particularly weird things over the years? Apart from having to battle with actors not to give them alcohol instead of fake drinks, uh, I can't really think of anything. <laughs> But you get little moments where they're like, have you got any vodka on? Can you not just pour some vodka in the glass? I see. <laughs> You're like, no, I can't pour some vodka in the glass. Although on This Is England, uh, yeah, anyway. <laughs> Perhaps a story for when not on a podcast. I was actually about to bring up Shane Meadows because I wanted to ask, what was it like working on This Is England together? Because he's a bit of a British legend these days, isn't he? Yeah, he was. He's, he's just like I, I see a directing happen in two ways, I guess. It's like some are like formulaic textbook, get it done, follow the storyboard, tick off the frames or whatever, concentrate on the dialogue. But then he's just like just does whatever, just sits in the room and chit chats with the actors for a bit until they're on point with the the type of conversation he's trying to get out of them, and then he goes, "I'm just going to go through there." basically turns the cameras on and leaves them like that and they carry on and just seeing it work like that is pretty um, pretty amazing, I guess. Was it cool with something like This Is England to be involved with something that was a bit more regional in nature? Because historically, film and TV in England has been very London-centric. Yeah, absolutely. You feel just like, okay, yeah, definitely a bit more local rather than the... It was... You know, and it was low budget and it was just real storytelling rather than lots of money and lots of snazziness. Is there something about your job that you wish the rest of the crew would understand? Much like you were saying earlier, where you get a bit of a buzz to some extent, particularly standby props, because for anyone listening who doesn't know, you're kind of, people are often waiting. The whole crew are looking at you to do your little bit. Right, You're right in amongst things. And it is to some extent a bit like your music where you're, on stage, is there something that you know that people get impatient with, or something that you wish everyone else kind of got? People moving things on set all the time. <laughs> so if you've got like a, a lighting person, I don't know that moves like people move stuff to get their job. Every department has got their own agenda on a film set, I suppose. But uh, the problem is they're all working in and around the props and the set and you're there to look after that and, and maintain it so yeah uh, like most people are quite respectful but then some people aren't so yeah when people aren't respectful i hope you're enjoying red carpet rookies if you'd like to support the show you can get a two-month free trial of skillshare the netflix of online courses with the link in the podcast show notes you can learn from topics including filmmaking photoshop music production, and hundreds more. If you fancy yourself as a scriptwriter, you could even check out my beginner's course for professional screenwriting software, Final Draft. So I remember speaking to a friend of mine a few years back who told me she was working on this, quote, pretty small BBC thing called Killing Eve. Obviously, it's blown up to become what we all know today. What was it like being on the set for that first series? 
it was it was exciting in the sense that uh, watching um, Jodie Comer doing all those accents, I can remember that being like, because you want to be entertained. Essentially, when you work twelve hours a day, sort of five days a week, um, you you sometimes want to be entertained on set, and that's one of the one of the things I love about the job is being you run in and you reset the drink or the food or the whatever, and then. And then they go turn over, and then you just get out of the way. But sometimes you don't go out of the room. Sometimes you're literally just under the kitchen sink, crouched in the corner with like your little reset ready to go. And you're like closer than the camera, even to the actor. And you just get to like stare them right in the face and watch them do their thing. And um, yeah, doing, doing that on Killing Eve was pretty cool because uh, all the accents Jody did was just comical. Does it make you? appreciate acting more that you get to see it so close closer than a camera i appreciate acting because it's it can like like i say it can be chaos there can be hundreds of people on a film set all doing their own job shouting mate, get me this i need that i need this all just trying to make it work and when all of a sudden when you know it's all lit and everything's set and pretty and they're ready to film they then go okay and action and the actors just got to turn it on even though it's just been like a mad chaotic scenario like seconds before. And then, yeah, having played in bands, getting getting the old red light fear that you'd get when you're in the recording studio. And they go, okay, we're rolling. And then you're like, oh shit, I've got to turn it on now. I've got to do this drum solo. <laughs> so yeah, you appreciate acting because of that. I was going to ask, speaking on actors and the prop role, have you had any amusing moments on set with one of the cast and their action props over the years? I've been on set when well, the scene is the actress like whips out a knife and and slices a fly in half, uh, and then it and it and then it you know breaks in half and it drops on the table and there's a little bit of blood and I think it's just to show how amazing like superhuman this particular character is and then we were all then we had to do a cutaway of a fly just like landing on the table like as you as you do um and so i had prepared in my uh, kit i had uh, loads of half flies that were made by a prop maker and then i had a little had a little pipette of blood and i put a little pipette drop of blood on the fly and then I just had to drop it into shot uh, on a, like a close-up camera on a macro, they call it, I think. Um, yeah, I just found it hilarious because it's like a multi-million pound unit costing thousands of pounds. Never has time his money been so apparent as it has when uh, in the film industry. And then, yeah, you just realise that you're knocking this little fly off the end of a knife into shot, and they're like, no, 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 it's no good, it's no good. Left of the frame, right of the frame, in the middle of the frame, and you got any more blood? You start flying missing a leg. And then you're just like spending half an hour with all these people around you just trying to get this little tiny fly cut away, and it's just, yeah, hilarious. Do you feel more pressure when you've got a multi-million pound unit looking at you dropping a fly or when you were playing to thousands of people in a band, which one's easier? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I prefer being in a band than working in film, put it that way. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> to go back to some of the silly things that you have to deal with in props, 
you've worked on period shows you mentioned before, one of which being uh, Ridley Scott's produced Taboo. Did you have to handle dead animals and the like? Because I've seen that show and there's a hell of a lot of, a lot of those in it. Well, no animals were harmed in the making of this film and all that. But yeah, I had to slice open a few rabbits and spray paint cows and things. Yeah. Spray paint cows. <laughs> please, please elaborate. Well, there was a moment on one, like obviously you don't always film things in order. So you might do the end of the film at the start of the shooting schedule. So sometimes when you shoot things, uh, you then have to go back in time and then you have a realisation, continuity realisation, where it's like, oh shit, so we've got to match what we've already shot. And we did the, a cow being born, I think, and it was it had a particular white patches on its body. And then, uh, I forget why this, in the story why it was a breached birth. Or Anyway, later on in the story, we had an actor holding the dead cow, basically, calf, as you call them. Um, but it didn't match. It had no white patches. So they were like, it doesn't match. It doesn't match. So basically, we just had to get a kind of white, white spray paint out and spray the cow so it had white patches, which felt awful. Interesting. That, that's real behind-the-scenes content there. You mentioned continuity there. How does that play into your job? Because it's something that film fans are slightly aware of, but not really. And one of my personal gripes is those... TV shows you often see at Christmas, always voiced by Robert Webb, where he says the blooper reels. Yeah. Oh, look, there's this thing in the background. Oh, this prop was there. And as someone who's obviously been on large sets, you know, it's unbelievable. They even managed to get that shot, let alone that there's the side of a coffee cup in it. Yeah. Yeah. How do you feel about that as a prop man yourself? Well, yeah, it's like continuities um, can be quite a tricky thing. and. Yeah, it can be the reason you have a good day or a bad day at work sometimes. Yeah, basically just the amount of the amount of time it takes to shoot one scene at different angles and then you might break for lunch and you know, this, that and the other in between shooting it all. People are always moving stuff. It's like sometimes it's it's really hard to just maintain it. Um so mistakes are easily made in my opinion. Do you have to I don't know much about how it works. Is it literally like a memory game? Like the thing where they put the, the tray and then they have to hold the thing on top? Yeah, or is yeah, there a way of logging it? Actually, yeah. If, if you're good at that, uh, as a kid, I don't know what it was. I don't know if it was like uh, health check scenarios for kids when they were younger where you had to like look at a tray and then they take some away and then you have to remember what, like tell them what was missing. If you're good at that, you can, you're good at props, yeah. Or it helps anyway, that's for sure. I had a moment just at the downset where they're filming over a table and there's a whiskey bottle in frame, but then they go in closer. Um, and so the whiskey bottle's in the way of the camera, so you just take it out of the way for them. And then they came back out to do a wide so you could see the table again. And I was just like looking at the monitor going, yeah, that's good, that's good, everything's fine, everything's fine. <gasps> Fuck, whiskey bottle! And then you run in just before they take it away. The whiskey bottle. And then they go, well, remember Graham. And then they carry on. What other skills do you think are necessary for props? Thick-skinned, um, being able to deal with people shouting. Uh, do people shout at you a lot? Uh, well, it's, it's the creative industry, isn't it? So 
some people are so in their in their creative world and that can be very sort of blinkered as soon as you throw them off track by doing something they might f- fly off the lid uh and i mean i don't i get it but you know sometimes you've got to appreciate that someone this is someone's been working years to that moment of being on that that set whereas to you it's just another day at work so yeah there can be people that shout at times and you just got to appreciate it I know that recently you were out in Georgia filming for Fast and Furious 9 that's yet to come out. What was your experience like out there? It was amazing. I mean, that film's not come out yet, so I can't really say anything. Of course. Yeah, yeah, of course. (laughs) Top secret. Graham Robinson, standby props, reveals Fast and Furious 9 plot. Absolutely. Yeah, but you know, in a less descriptive way, what's it like... Explain to the listeners what the real set life version is of filming those car chases because it's not exactly how you imagine with the glamour of the movies, is it? Yeah, it's, it's um, yeah, it can be super slow. You can be the setting up. I think, I think I'm on that. I think on that job, uh, particularly, we spent a whole day like rehearsing the scenario and working out, you know, the camera stuff and. You've got so many different versions of cars, of the same car on films like that. You've got like eight versions of each car, all with different like engine sizes, ones that have got like little rigs on so they slide better around corners, ones that have like... And then you've got different stages in the story if they get beaten up or whatever. Yeah, and one day we, was, we spent so long rehearsing, deciding which car they needed there and which car they needed there, that we didn't actually film anything that day. <laughs> okay. Well, we've got to the end of our day, but we're really good. So let's hit it hard tomorrow. Wow. How does it compare being on those huge shows compared to some of the smaller TV and films that you've worked on? Because it's more of a re- recent phenomenon in your career, isn't it? Yeah, I suppose. Um, you definitely give it, um, you know, you, you definitely like, wow, this is a big, exciting American action movie. But essentially, when it boils down to it, the, the job's exactly the same. How did you find Georgia? I know that they're expanding their filming quite a lot at the moment. Oh, they? Uh, I thought it was amazing, yeah. There's something fascinating about those former Soviet countries that feel like they're still kind of waking up to the free world. <laughs> That's interesting. Did you meet many of the locals? Yeah, absolutely. Had them all uh, working alongside us. So, yeah, they were super excited to be working on something like that. Um in Georgia because I don't think they see much of that kind of thing over there. Very cool. It was interesting when I was writing your bio because I initially wrote prop man Graham Robinson without really thinking because it is a very Uh traditionally pretty male dominated area. Have you noticed more women in the department these days? Really not. There was one like considering there's a billion people on Fast and Furious I think there was literally one woman in the props department. Interesting. So uh, yeah it it's definitely underrepresented in that respect. Do you think that will change? I hope so. Uh, I suppose it's, I mean, it's down to maybe someone like me if I've got a trainee position for a job to maybe find a woman rather than a man. As well, in terms of the future of the industry, 
how does effect, VFX affect your job? Have you ever had to interact with any CGI hand props or anything like that, green screens and such? Oh, yeah, absolutely. You're always, you've always got like a knives are a big one. So you've always got like the original knife. Then you just have like a soft version of that knife. And then sometimes you have like a half blade of that knife. And then sometimes you just have the handle of the knife for various VFX scenarios. And then sometimes you just have a green blade. Oh, yeah, you do a lot of VFX scenarios, really. That's interesting. I know that you're working on Pennyworth at the moment. How is COVID playing into your closeness with dealing with actors on set and the rest of the crew? Because everyone's dealing with it in their own ways. Yeah. No, it's... Um, I know I felt like going back to work, I thought because they're all talking about like you've got to have a certain mask on when the actors are on set uh you know obviously we can't have any contact like every day you get given sides which are the script pages that you're doing that day and um so you can just have a flick through and remind yourself and the ad's have put them all into plastic wallets and then so they don't touch you they come and tip from the plastic wallet the sides into your hand anyway so when i'm doing drinks or cigarettes i was like well this is like i'm i'm dealing with actors saliva here this is like covid central <laughs> and then like i'm touching the glass that they then put in their mouth it's like oh my god i've got such a covid responsibility so yeah now i've got like literally a sanitizing station and then once the 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 glass has been sanitized and you take it to set you take it with you know like being a surgeon pass me the scissors sort of thing just just like a surgeon that's, that's just, just like, like a surgeon <laughs> he wishes i was going to ask we we touched on it earlier as a northerner yourself do you feel that the rest of the country might expand its production the same way london has because it's quite a hot topic at the moment particularly with companies like channel 4 trying to push more regional work? Because I know you've moved to London now, but what's your opinion on that? Yeah, well, yeah, there is totally, it's totally expanding. Yeah, it's getting bigger and bigger. And I mean, locations are locations, aren't they? And the Lake District has got the most dramatic landscape in the whole of the country or even like way up into Scotland. I don't know that as well, but, you know, you can't, you can't, um, can't get a similar scenario down south so you're always going to have things that go to these places but the big the the reason i stay in london is because still the the big big studios are based mainly here and so the tastier work is still sort of favored down here but it'll slowly move up north yeah i guess now before we move on to the final question i have one more question which is is there one thing you would like to change about the industry the probably the hours yeah just extend the job and can we do a shorter day, please? <laughs> Good answer. Now, as a final thing on Red Carpet Rookies, I like to do a questionnaire, which is my own version of the In The Actors Studio questionnaire, if you've ever watched that. And it's quick fire, so just say whatever comes into your head. Mm -hmm. Are you ready? Yes. Number one, what is the best piece of advice you've ever been given? Just do it now. Number two, do you have a favourite film? Dazed and Confused. All right, all right, all right. Number three, what gives you a reason to get up for an early call time, if one at all? The bike ride to work. Number four, 
which job in the industry would you do if you weren't doing yours? Catering. Interesting answer. Number five, if you could work with one person living or dead, who would it be? Um, Elvis Presley. Good answer. Number six, what is a book that everyone should read? Uh, Mr. Tickle from the Mr. Men uh, <laughs> range. You're like Jeremy and Peep Show, always reading Mr. Nice. And final question, if you won an Oscar, who would you thank? My, uh, my girlfriend, Mindy. Great stuff. Thank you so much to Graham for joining me today. It's been fantastic to hear your tales of rock stardom as well as your skills with a broomstick and advice for the future prop people of the business. Thank you again for listening to another episode of Red Carpet Rookies. To keep updated, you can follow Red Carpet Rookies on Instagram and Facebook, RC Rookies Pod on Twitter, or contact us at redcarpetrookies at gmail.com. And please do subscribe or drop us a rating and review on the Apple Podcast Store, on your iPhone, or online if you're an Android user. Have a great day, and we'll see you next time.